where is the pastor that's asking about a theology of the cross in his or her neighborhood? Where is the pastor that's asking about the nature of suffering in his or her neighborhood? Where is the pastor that's undergoing suffering in his or her neighborhood, undergoing their own theology of the cross, perhaps their own dark night of the soul, so that they can lead others in and through it and beyond? Returning to the institutional church today on In the Shadow of the Cross. back to another episode of In the Shadow of the Cross. I am Lauren Rosser. Jim Durkin is still out cruising. I think he's actually off the ship now, but making his way back home. And we're here today with our special guest, Dirty Harry. Go ahead, Durkin. Make my day. <laughs> that was such a, it's funny, that's such a, a pop culture icon. Because when I was in my, it, when I was in high school, that was like the catchphrase, my whole high school journey, you know, oh, yeah. um, it, it even made appearances in my yearbook and stuff. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I, I love those early Clint Eastwood films. I, I mean, I love the spaghetti Westerns. Even oh, I do too. Know. Yeah. My favorite one in those days was play Misty for me. That was, that was kind of a creepy it, film, but it had that great song by Roberta Flack, you know? Oh, it, right. It, yeah. And, uh, it was beautiful. So. No, I'm a huge Western fan, and it, it was his. Uh, it, it was the good, the bad, and the ugly. That was the Western that made me love westerns. I, I remember yeah. being in the other room playing with my toys in my bedroom and hearing that, wah, 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 and going, "What is that?" You know, and came out exactly <laughs> came out to the front room to see what was going on, and, and ended up watching the whole movie. Right. So, so we, so, we're talking about Clint Eastwood films today, or what? Exactly. Yeah. So, it, getting to our topic. Um, we thought it would be cool to talk about those of us who've gone through healing and as we're being healed um, from the damage that's been done to us about a, a sacrificial God, a God with a dark side and, uh, and, and being healed from that and, and coming to know our father and trust our father. Um, how do we go back into, is there a way to go back into the institutional church and be a light and a source of life for others? So uh, what are your initial thoughts, Michael? Uh, well, a couple things. One is I have a very dear friend uh, in Lancaster, and um, he and his family, I mean, they, they grew up in a very, very conservative tradition, and they've moved to the, they've gone liberal, they've gone Mennonite, uh, but they're in a fairly liberal Mennonite church there. And my friend Jonathan puts it best. I, I asked him once, how, is, how can you go to church and hear what you hear and, and still weekly choose to be part of a community. He says, I live with the irony. Oh, wow. And I've, I've wrestled with that now for a decade, really, uh, since he first said that about living in the irony of knowing, knowing that there's a sacrificial message being put out from the pulpit, from the leadership to the Sunday school. It's, it, it's you know, it's, this, the gospel primarily in the West is we've demonstrated a thousand times for a long time now that it's sacrificial. And I know that my friend Jonathan is very non-sacrificial in his thinking. And, um, and I've, for me personally, I've, I've found it very hard to walk into church. I can't, I can't abide a sacrificial sermon. I, I, it riles me up to hear a preacher lie about the Father. It, and you know, and no, it, right. it, just, it just like, and so I'm really where I'm not, it's not safe for me to go to church because I get triggered. Right. And I really get, I, I get in, in a, I mean, I, I want to say oh, I get prophetically angry. It, 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 you know, it's just, it's hurtful. Yeah. So I've stayed away. Um, but, 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 and here's the big, but, um, I think I have to get past this in, in my life. There's something I have to break free from, break through to, uh, about institutional church. Okay? Um, part of I'm, what I'm hoping we're able to do out of this podcast is that 
<clears throat> I'll be able to figure out what that is with you. <laughs> right. You know, because in this sense, I'm a prime example of someone who has left the institutional church, um, is very, is gifted, would be a benefit if I was in an institutional church, right? Yeah. Um, I would benefit from the friendships and the community, and I would love all of that. But can I learn to do what my friend Jonathan does and just live with that irony? Can I do that knowing that people are better than their theology, first of all? Yeah. And second of all, you know, do I want to or am I able to be part of a community where, <laughs> in, in a sense, I, I have to to let them believe in their God, you know, you know what I mean? And I, yeah. and I feel like Paul the apostle going, Hey, wait, man, there's this unknown God you got to learn about, even though you're Christians, you know? His right. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm so glad you share all that because I, I wrestle with the same things. Um, I can handle maybe four or five Sundays and then it just starts really getting to me. And, and, one of the things that that I wrestle with a lot of times when I'm in institutional type gatherings that, it, that have like a sacrificial view of God or, or have the dark side view of God is that I will, I, I get frustrated because I feel like, you know, th there's one person who's sharing, who who has the, the pulpit and is sharing all the time and they're, and they're sharing these things and no one else has a voice in many of these types of gatherings. And the thing that upsets me is I'll feel like there are people here that have life to bring, that, that have that have a, a something completely different that I'll look around the congregation, a lot of them, and, and you know, because I kind of just kind of get the vibe, you know, if you will, of kind of the sense of, of where people at and, and I'll see they really need this. You know, they're hungry for it. And it's like, but I feel like the gatekeepers a lot of times, not all of them, but they, I'll tell some positive stories in a little bit, but, but the gatekeepers will keep that gate shut. And, mm -hmm. and so after a while, it, it's like, I start to feel like, why am I here? Why, why am I taking up the air? You know, mm -hmm. I might as well, I can just be home, you know, cause mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm on a pew. I'm not doing anything. I'm not, I'm not really, you know, blessing anyone benefiting anybody in in any sort of way i'm just i'm i'm a cog in the in the machine that's that's um helping the the those that be running the organization feel better because the pews are fuller and it's like that's not why i'm here that's not why i'm on this planet <laughs> so you know and, and my wife you know she goes with me all the time to these things and she'll feel the same way and and so that's why that's why it's hard for me in those things because that that frustration you talk about that anger i i recognize that all too well um, it, it will, it, it, so that, that makes it challenging for me in any length of time. Um, I have tried to something I could grow in is I have tried to build relationships outside of the service setting, you know, come to the service. Cause that's kind of what's needed for people to know you're legit. You know, they, they don't see sadly, they don't see, we've talked about church, you know, they, they don't see anything outside of the Sunday morning thing as being legit. So right. if you show up there, you know, you kind of can meet some people and have some people over for dinner. And, you know, then, then you can have some one-on-one -on -one conversations. I've, I've done that a few times. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something that, although I've had some really good positive experiences with it, it's still a challenge. It still really is a, a, a challenge, a challenging road to, to go down. Um, how, how do you, Michael, cause you, I mean, you've got, I mean, you talk about bringing in a, a bank of, of wealth of, of, information that would really help people be free. I'm not talking just information, you know, we're, we're like intellectual, we're talking life-giving. Um, how, how do you, in, how do you go about connecting with that with people? Prior to my leaving the institutional church around 2013, um, prior to that, uh, my experience in the institutional church has been no matter which congregation I've sought to be involved in, and I can go in my mind all the way back into the 1980s on this, even before I left for seminary, in, you know, just after I married and we're coming out of the Jesus movement into the institutional church. Um, I've never been part of a church that I have eventually been kicked out of. 
Really? And wow. It's, in, it's inevitable that I intimidate the pastor. Pastors, pastors are just intimidated as shit when they get around me. It's just like, you know, at first, at first they go, oh, this guy will be great. But it's like the last church I was in, you know, the, um, I was asked to take over a, a Sunday school class, had 10 elderly adults in their 70s, you know. And the guy was going to be gone for five weeks that taught it. And I taught it. And when he came back, there were like 45 people there. And he said, just keep on teaching. Eventually it grew to 80. Well, the pastor would run a Sunday school class and he'd get four or five, six people. And I've got like 80. So it intimidates pastors, right? Yeah. And so I'm, I, you know, I've, I've just left the church because clergy are so easily scared by somebody that can, they get scared. They just get scared because it's it's little kingdom builders, you know. That's all about egos, and when it's about right. egos. But a most interesting experience this week here in Minneapolis. Um, uh, I'm staying, you know, right around the corner from 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 uh, my lady's house. Here is a Lutheran church, and I thought, you know what, I could walk there in about two minutes <laughs> if I'm going to go to church. I don't want to have to drive, especially in Minneapolis, especially right. in the winter. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so close is good, real good. So, um, so I, I walked on over, met with the pastor, had a great conversation with him, fantastic. Uh, asked him about he's been there six months. He's in his fifties. He's been around the block. Yeah. And asked him about his vision of the church. It's this wonderful vision. He's. First of all, he's theologically articulate, which is really nice. Right. Really, really, really nice. This is this is not your average, uh, I'll learn what I learned back in Bible college or seminary and then puke it for the next 50 years kind of pastor. This is a guy that likes to read and is engaging and knows the congregation, knows the area because he lives here, uh, has a beautiful vision for debureaucratizing his little local Lutheran congregation, which is so committee heavy and all that nonsense that churches get into, just debureaucratizing it, turning it back into that. I kind of almost, I, I feel like he's almost speaking the language that Ray Stedman used to speak back in the 70s of body life. Yeah. You know, and so we talked a little bit about, you know, where the world's going and this and that and the other and the, the need that people are going to have once the once once the economies collapse and they're collapsing already. I mean, last Friday the major commercial banks shut down because they couldn't do direct deposits. Uh, you know, I, Bank of America, Chase, J.P. Morgan. There's no liquidity. The crisis is coming, and when it hits, people are going to get scared spitless. And I said they're either going to lose their faith, but they're losing their faith only in the Superman, Deus Ex Machina God. Yeah. But there's going to be a lot of people looking for something. And that's what I'm hoping that, you know, a local congregation here and there, you know, all over the world, wherever, that there is this sense of um, the, 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 the church being actually being a body again, where people are caring for each other, you know, uh, yeah. not just good neighbors, but actually committed to caring for each other, that would just be brilliant. And so we talked about this, you know, and and I told him, I said, I'm I'm really not interested. I, said, I, I asked him, I, I asked him really point blank after he shared his, his vision. I said, how if I'm going to come to to this church, how can I serve you? What's the best way for me to serve you? And, and we had a good conversation about that. And um, you know, I I really would see myself as a funnel for bringing people there more like an evangelist, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, just talking locally with people and then just inviting them, you know, once something is going, but I'd have to be part of that early fermentation process might take a while and get something going there. But I was very excited for the first time, for the first time in over a decade. Wow. Uh, about actually stepping foot back into a congregation and choosing to be part of their life and let them be part of my life. So that's why, you know, this is a, an important topic right now as it's very existential for me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's interesting because uh, my journey has been similar to yours and the, the churches, even before I knew any of this stuff, um, after the first church I went to, after I got, grew up, you know, left high school, um, every church I went to either closed down or kicked me out. 
Um, so it, it's uh, it, it's it's pretty interesting. But two two of those closers, especially one of them, was a very very positive thing. Um, which I, I want to share that because that, that's a it was a cool story about what we're talking about of uh, yeah. of the life of God really impacting a group. So, so I was, Lily and I were youth pastors at this one church and long story short, uh, we weren't welcome there anymore. Um, just, uh, don't even really, can't really explain why <laughs> just, uh, um, we, we were, were tired of towing the line the way it was. And, and, uh, and so anyway, we realized it was best just for us to leave. So, so instead of towing the line, you went one toke over the line. Exactly. Yes. Went one toke <laughs> over the line. And, uh, but when we left, we were, we were absolutely fried on church. We were, yeah. I was one of those guys, uh, it was, this was back in 2000. So this was before Facebook was a thing, but I was, I was on the chat rooms and everything, just talking about all the evils of church and how church needs it. You know, the, the things you see, you know, church isn't designed to have a pastor, church isn't designed hierarchy, hierarchy, you know, all that stuff. I was one of those guys. And, uh, but then, uh, did get a hold of, uh, met some good mature brothers and sisters in Christ who kind of got me better grounded, but I was still very anti-church, but I was like, but you know, Lily and I were like, we can't just be floating out here. You know, we, we, we need to, we need to find community, you know, and long story short, I connect with this guy who's pastoring a church in Sacramento. Um, but, um, and, and I'm told they're on this interesting journey. So I'm thinking, yeah, right. You know, everybody says that, you know, so I thought, well, we'll we'll, we'll go visit, you know, so I I go visit and what I saw absolutely blew my mind because they had been before Lily and I even got there, they had, this church was birthed. um, My friend, David Fredrickson was pastoring it and they had, they had been birthed out of the Jesus people movement. And he was, uh, he, they had been in the Jesus people. They, they, saw the real deal. I mean, they, they saw people coming to Christ right and left. The things oh, like yeah. you and Jim talked about, literal yeah. miracles happening, oh, you know, God. all that kind of stuff. So their church is not, by by the American standards, it's not a failing church. Right. It's it's a decent, thriving, the kind of thing you could just put your tent pegs in and keep going, like just, you know, and be content the rest of your life with a salary. David wasn't content with that. David saw the real deal and was like, this is not, what he goes, I've seen what the real passion for Christ looks like and, and we're just not there. And so they had been praying and and asking God seriously, what do we need to do to, to, you know, to get to that place where we're really being a light to the, to the community. And the first thing they hear them as a church are praying this, they, they get from God to, uh, to close down all the programs and, cancel all positions and David gave up his salary. And so they're, they're in this place when we arrive, they are in this place where they don't know what they're supposed to do next. I mean, they're like Abraham, you know, they stepped into, I mean, they're literally getting together on Sunday morning. David is standing in the back of the room. He's not in front in the pulpit and, and different people are sharing things here and there and stuff. But, and someone would kind of strum on the guitar a little bit, but everyone's kind of like, what are we supposed to do? Exactly. So, so we're, you know, we come in the midst of that. And, uh, and as this journey progresses, they're starting to, to question things that are normally not questioned. Like, like they started going, okay, we're getting together. We're discovering the value. They're starting to get from home to home a lot more. And they start going, do we really need this building? Cause they're like, it seems like we keep having to have the church work days once a year where we come down, clean the building and all this. And it takes time away from our families mm-hmm. and from getting together with each other. And, and, and they're like, you know, let's, they, they hit this point. They said, let's take six weeks off from, from being in this building. And we're just going to get together. Uh, not, no, no mandate on when we're, how we're going to gather anything. Just if you want to go to someone's house, go to their house, you know? And they go, and we're going to pray and fast for the next two weeks and see what the Lord directs next. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. We'll, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen. You know, this is just going to come back business as usual. Man, was I wrong. They, they shocked me. They stunned me because they came back after six weeks and the u- unanimous decision, them is a group, not, not the pastor, you know, dictating this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they go, you know what? we had so much life away from this. They go, this feels like a hindrance. 
They go, we're, 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 we're coming to, we're having to to maintain this thing all the time. And they go, and and they go, what's happening? One, one brother shared this. I loved it. He goes, he goes, I'll think to myself, he goes, someone will pop in my mind during the week. He'll be like, I wonder how Bob's doing. And he goes, but then I think, oh, I'll catch up with him on Sunday. And he goes, but if there's not Sunday anymore, I have to call Bob. Mm -hmm. And he goes, and that's what happened over the last six weeks is people would come to other people's minds and they would just call them up. They wouldn't default to, well, I'll wait until Sunday, you know? So they finally, they just decided to, uh, they were done with the building. And so they, they ended up selling the building and, uh, and just gathering from, from place to place and house to house and never, never, they never formed a thing, which is what was kind of interesting. And this isn't everybody's journey. Cause I, I know some powerful stories of people who stayed in the institution too, but this was just the way the spirit directed them. Um, but that just absolutely blew my mind. And it was so healing for me because the thing that crushed me and, and Lily was the system. We, we were in a system that became, it became cult-like. I mean, it really was. If you go down what a cult is, it was everything a cult is. And that's what just, it, it just crushed us. And, uh, and it was tremendously healing to meet brothers and sisters who were not driven by a system. They didn't look at me for what I can give to them to build their thing. Mm-hmm. It was rather just simply being a brother. So that was that was amazing. And, and the cool part was Lily and I showed up towards the end of that. And we actually got to be part with them walking through that. And there was some divine timing there because there were things we learned in our journey that came in very useful in that in that season. But... But that was a that was a wonderful moment, and um, remained friends with pretty much all of them. It, the ones I haven't, it's just because you know there's just time. People move away. I've I've moved two states since I was part of that. That was in Sacramento, but uh, but it just it, it it shows you going along with what we're talking about. You don't know when you when God directs you somewhere, when Father leads you to connect with a group a group of people, you have no idea what can happen or what he, what's in mind. Um, you know, sometimes it is, you show up, you're there a few weeks, this didn't, didn't go anywhere, you know, or so we think and, uh, and move along. But, but I don't think that means it's any less that we missed God somehow or something, but sometimes there's that rare moment where people are open and, you know, he, father just likes to shock us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so th- that was cool. So, I mean, to think of that paradigm shift and being part of that, that's very much what the Jesus movement felt like, what you experienced in Sacramento. Right. I could we, see that. We really did. In, in Church in the Park, which was the group I was part of in Modesto, California, uh, we started out, we were 18 of us, and we formed a covenant. You know, that was the big deal back in those days. And um, to be, you know, basically to be in kind of economic community, That model worked for us in the Jesus movement until the shepherding movement came in. Oh, yeah. You know, because as we grew from 18 uh, ultimately to about 180 over the course of several years, um, that required, you know, some organization and different things. But uh, we also, you know, had. I mean, I, it was the most beautiful worship. It was part Quaker-esque in that anybody could bring anything, but the worship com- committee or group would design a skeletal framework and they would they would kind of carry it along if there were lulls. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it really was beautiful. And, uh, and yet uh, once the, the need for organization and hierarchy came in, that was it. It was over, you know. And yeah. then all the cult stuff started appearing. I'll never forget the time uh, one of the three elders uh, who we, Lori and I, and, and at that time, our, our two youngest uh, daughters, uh, we were living there and I was, I, I had a great living at that time and I supported everybody, you know, both kind of, and um, he sat down at the dinner table one night and he says, you know, we've, him, he and the other two elders. I'm trying to stay away from names. He and the <laughs> right. other two elders had um, uh, figured out how to deal with the cast. They decided that they were infallible. 
they would make decisions and they were infallible. And then I looked over at him and I said his name and I said, dude, you know, I mean, I grew up Roman Catholic. I left that Pope stuff kind of behind, you know, <laughs> and you, you, this is not going to happen in some little tiny Protestant group. You guys get infallibility. That's like, no, no, no. I'll take the Pope any day, but not you nutters. You know? <laughs> did you, did you, you said that to him? No, no. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. No, But I did make very, very clear that I didn't take him as infallible. Sure. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is about leaders. It's ego. It's ego. It's all about ego. Yeah. It's all about the inability to let the spirit do what the spirit does. It's about the need to control the wind instead of letting it blow where it will. Right. You know, absolutely. Institutionalize and box, but you know, Hey, it worked. We got a box. We got to do it again. It worked once. We got to do it again. It's like, are you kidding? You yeah. Know? Um, oh yeah. I want to know why the charismatics always say God is doing a new thing when it's the same old thing God seems to be doing. You're right though. You're, you're right. absolutely right. Cause that, that's the thing that I saw in, in that, that church that I said, behaved cultishly that was a charismatic church and uh and and yeah it was it was very much controlled and uh and, and it's interesting because i mean you talk about the the ego and the money thing um it was interesting and i just bring this up because i, I think it might actually help some people is when we were there one of the things that that happened was when we were youth pastors we we were struggling financially the entire time uh, mm-hmm. michael you have no idea what that's like um financially no never never i have more money i've always had more money than i could dream of exactly right so anyway we we were we could we couldn't even afford groceries a lot of times and so so anyway we get they're talking about paying us to or you know supporting us to as youth pastors and so we're like, well, that would be great, you know, because we could make ends meet. Um, but then we have this meeting with one of the elders is told to meet with us. And so mm-hmm. we meet and we're told, oh, it's a good thing. And uh, and in the meeting, uh, he and his wife tell us that that uh, they're concerned because they noticed there were several gaps in my tithing record. And uh, they were worried that I was shooting myself in the foot because we were we were missing missing some tithes. So, uh, they, they felt that if they were going to support me, you know, support us, we needed to, we needed to make sure that we were tithing faithfully. And it was, uh, it was crazy. Cause it was like, we, we, I ended up creating a skit on this. We did a video with some friends of mine. And I, we made this comedy where this, the exact scenario happens are sitting in the chairs and they're, and they're saying, you know, we're concerned about your tithing record. And, and uh, the guy goes, I know, I'm sorry. He goes, I had to buy groceries. And he goes, but, but here's my tithe. It's $200. And he gives it to him and he goes, great. Now, John, what, what can we do for you? And he goes, give me $200. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's exactly what it felt like was we were literally giving them the money to get it right back. Get it right back. Yeah, you put it look good on paper. And that's what I was told by people outside that they said, no, you know why they did that is so they they could show on the books that it that it went through. And it it goes right back to that thing we talked about about money. You know, that it was just looking good on paper. Yeah. Well, I wonder, I mean, I really do wonder if if Christianity can ever find its way back to be separate from the issue of money. Um, I mean, in the early church, for example, when they took an offering, and this is from the, we don't have any, any evidence of anything like this in the first century at all, but in the second century and for the second, third centuries, when they took an offering, it was for the poor. Yeah. And so when you were, giving to the collection plate in church, you were giving to the poor within that community, within that church community, not the, not the poor in general, but within that church community. Yeah. And, um, but after, of course, after Constantine, the, the church gets hung up in real estate, power, fortune, money. And I wonder if the church could, 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 could ever get that demon exercised in it uh, of, of its dependence on money again right very interesting hey, here's the thing though lauren you see um do we need do we need trained clergy 
do we need trained lay people? I mean, what, what do we do? What do we do when, you know, just can anybody just preach anything they want? Can anybody just say anything? Well, I mean, in Protestantism, the answer is yes. Right. You know, um, which is one of the reasons why I suppose in my heart of hearts, I'm always ready to bail back into Catholicism because at least they have a Pope. Right. They have a, you know, and uh, and I love the current. I love the current. I just, you know, I'm happy to identify as a Catholic these days. Right. <laughs> not that I, not that they would want me, but I'm happy to say, okay, I grew up Catholic. I still kind of am. Um, but um, I just... I wonder about the church and do we, what's the role of education? If we're going to do this, does, do, 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 does each house church have someone that they, they would tap that they would pay for to go to school so that that person could come back and, and use those gifts for the life of the congregation can, can, can congregations uh, trust, can they learn to trust, you know, those that they send off to school that would come back and be part of their, their community rather than just, Sending someone off to the ministry in general, and they go wherever. Okay, right. So I don't know. I don't know what's the rule. I wonder what's the role of education because I see, for me, I feel like we're on the threshold of the Reformation, not a new Reformation, but the previous one, where Luther's biggest lament was the ignorance of the clergy. And I just, when I look around today at the pastorate, not for nothing, but but I really see a theologically anemic. Pastorate. I see a an ignorant pastorate in America. I would venture to say the vast, vast majority of clergy I've met are either intellectual underachievers or anti-intellectuals. Um, they don't really want to think things through theologically. They just want to be told their little pat theology to believe in, you know, some kind of Lutheran or reformed evangelical fundamentalist doctrinal statement. Okay, this is what we believe. Okay, now, you know, let's just go pretend and play church and be relevant to the community and the neighborhood and have these programs. And yeah. no. Where is the pastor? Yeah. It's asking about a theology of the cross in his or her neighborhood. Right. Where is the pastor that's asking about the nature of suffering in his or her neighborhood? Where is the pastor that's undergoing suffering? in his or her neighborhood, undergoing their own theology of the cross, or perhaps their own dark night of the soul, so that they can lead others in and through it and beyond. You know, no, no. Clergy, by and large, are boring, repetitive uh, administrators of nonsense. And I just, I don't know, I, I can't abide anymore with what I consider to be just weakly educated clergy or clergy that are preaching right from their egos, you know, that it's all, you know, it's, it's, it's about my vision of the church, my understanding of this and me, I, me, my, my, and I especially, this is one of my biggest laments of the last church I was in, the Mennonite church, was that the pastor would always use himself as an example. It was just like, you're not an example, you're not a regular person. <laughs> right. You know? You, you you spend your time going to meetings. That's all you do. You're just a manager, you know? I right. Know. It was just not, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't hear gospel anymore. I don't hear good news anymore. I don't, when I go to church, I don't. I just hear about the Superman God, the deus ex machina God, the nationalistic God, the supersessionist God, the God that loves us. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. He's with us. He loves us. He's with us. He loves us. And you got to go, Really? You have to work that hard to convince everybody, you know? right? I mean, if if you if you had a well, I mean, if you're in a codependent relationship, I can understand that. I love you, Lauren. Lauren, I love you. I love you, Lauren. Lauren, I love you. I love you. I love you. I right. Love you, right. I adore you, Lauren. I adore you. I love you, Lauren. I love you. I, come on, man. At some point, you're gonna go. Okay, enough's enough. Right. And people can't see. I'm dying laughing here. That's a. It, it's so true, though. No, it, it's true because it's even the thing of like even sometimes the especially charismatic circles where where I come from that it, it started to dawn on me that it's like the the whole thing of worship. It's like God is God really standing there going worship me. Worship me. Give me more. Give worship. You know, like, wow. You know, I need your worship. Exactly. I, I need, and, and unless you hit that mark, that emotional high within an hour and a half, I ain't showing up. 
you know that's right. so no glory yeah. best for you <laughs> exactly right no but but the things that you share they're they're true you know i mean they're they're legitimate cuz so, sometimes a lot of times people will hear things like you shared and be like oh he's so negative but it's like those are the exact things that i run into when i'm in in visiting different churches and stuff that become a real struggle for me in the sense mm-hmm. of that it's really really hard when you have something that that is very near and dear to you you know um i i know this is the same for you we we love the church um mm-hmm. as as jesus's body yeah. and yeah. and when you're in a place where you see the people not getting what they need not and i'm not talking about you know we want you all to have your needs met and you know we're going to start a starbucks in the church and give you a, you know uh, start having baseball games and you know all Latin that it's, for jesus exactly it's it's we're talking the actual you know unraveling of what of who the father is of seeing him for who he is the 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 blinders coming off um People are are stuck and they're trapped and they're suffering. It goes back to our conversation last week about hell. You know that that the reason why we have to keep telling people that it's interesting when you read the book of Acts, you read of the things they're doing for one another. You mm-hmm. don't hear them saying God loves you. God loves you, Father. Paul came to them and said, Father loves you. You know, it's like you see them doing good works to others for others, okay. and uh, and and that's just I've seen that today too where when you if if people are loving one another caring for one another like you talked about michael truly caring for one another you don't have to convince people that god is love because they're tasting it every day mm-hmm. and uh, and so that's that's the kind of stuff yeah that's just we're we're having to convince ourselves of these things because it's not present it's not it's not in our reality i mean his love is present but we're not conscious yes. of it you know <sighs> yeah no, it'll be it'll be very curious, won't it, to uh, for, first of all see what happens to the institutional church over the next few years as as their funding dries up and it's going to dry up. Yeah, I mean massively dry up. As fast as the church grew, uh, as the Fed went to zero interest rates and the church grew because it was a lot of money being printed, well, that's going to dry up just as fast. Yeah, those churches with those big mortgages. And the banks that hold those mortgages aren't going to be hurting. And I I just, I can't help but wonder what's on the other side. What's on the other side? Carol yeah. Winner, you know, talks about the net. And we've talked about this before, the networking concept. Uh, networks, you know. And um, what role will social media play? What role will uh, the virtual world play? Right. Are we moving to such a thing as virtual church? You know? Well, well you look uh, at even we, you, you do your classes online and, yeah. and I'm working on my master's degree online and, you yeah. know, online education, it used to be viewed as kind of like a joke. It's not real and that kind of thing. And now it's become very rigorous, very challenging. Mm-hmm. And uh, I laugh at anybody who, who still believes that way. It's like, get with the welcome to the 21st century, you know, and, and but that's that kind of stuff like you're talking about. It, it's we already see the seeds of it all around us. It's mm-hmm. it's happening. Um, I'm I'm part of groups that gather during the week um, online um, just to, you know, share our hearts and pray for one another and, and that kind of thing. And, and they're, and they're encountering the same thing. A lot of them, some of them attend, uh, have churches that they belong to um, that are in their communities. And then some of them are in the same boat where they're just like, they're just having a really hard time finding community where, where they are that, that aren't sacrificial. And it's not that we all have to have the exact same mindset, but it really helps when you have people who, when you can pour that out with them, they get it. Well, here's a question. So we know the big, big explosion in the early church was in 70 CE with the destruction of the temple by yeah. Titus, right? Um, Judaism lost one of its three pillars, Torah, temple, land. It lost temple. All right. Big one. Can't have a stool without three pillars. Right. Right. They also lost the land 50 years later when Hadrian under the Bar Kokhba rebellion, kicked all the Jews out. Wow. So now, now, second century, third century, and Judaism has Torah. That's all they have, Torah. 
And the rabbis rebuild Judaism around Torah. That's one of the wonderful things about modern modern Judaism. At any rate, I'm not. I, I don't spend a lot of time with the with Judaism of the Middle Ages through the 20th century. I can. I'm pretty good up through about the fourth or fifth century, right? But modern Judaism, from my view, when I read uh, sermons um, by rabbis, some some rabbis, certain rabbis. There's more gospel in those sermons than I hear in a church, you know? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Really fascinating to me. Really fascinating. And, um, but I wonder, we know what happened to Judaism when Rome shut down uh, its access to its real estate. What happens if in the this upcoming financial crash, quote, church buildings have to be abandoned? It's not, it's not the government coming in and telling people they can't have church buildings. It's the economic reality that people can't support these things anymore. Right. They're going to go by the wayside. They're going to get repurposed and turned into apartment complexes or storefronts, something, something, right? Well, imagine Christianity without its real estate. I mean, Judaism had to reconfigure itself without its real estate, right? And it did yeah. before. Could Christianity do the same with gospel? Right. That's true. That, that's a good question that's because true, you know? when you think about it, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a, it definitely has a parallel because you would, the vast majority of Christians are, are I wouldn't say majority, but a lot of them, they really, even though, you know, they'll say, oh, the church isn't the building we're the church, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll say that. And I grew up saying that. Um, but the reality is, no, it's the building. <laughs> yeah. And and I'd say that with no judgment. Um right. but you but you remove that, it is gonna cause people to have to really rethink things. You know, it, it's it's gonna it's definitely gonna cause a, a lot of weighing things out and, and reevaluating. So yeah, it's a it's an interesting question. Um I, I don't think it's like everybody's going to jump up one morning and go, we're all starting a house church. You know, I, I'm sure there, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that I'm sure there would be groups that, that do, that would try that. I, I was with a church. One of the churches collapses I went through um, that one did, did lose its funding. And so they decided to move into a home and, uh, and uh, started gathering at home. But here, here's what's so pathetic about me. I was so, and they were a wonderful group of people. I was so, no, a church has to be in a building <laughs> that I wouldn't go with them. And, uh, and so it, it's funny how much I've grown from that, but, but, you know, so so I've seen a group that did go do that um, because they were, in their case, they were forced to, um, which would be the situation with well, you're talking about, Michael. That I'm, right. I'm sure that would that would be tried. Um, but it's a, I don't know. It's it's interesting. It'd be interesting to see what what dynamics because as we know, just changing location. Or if if the dead religion is in you, changing the real estate isn't going to change what's inside of you. Right. That that's that's you know. I mean, I was a little nervous. Friday, going down to see this pastor in this church building, you know, because I only go to church when I'm preaching because I know the sermon will be good. You know, yeah. I'm cocky. I'm cocky. What the heck, right? And uh, no, but um, I, I was a little nervous, you know, I'm going into a church building. I'm being a pastor, you know, it's, it's not, that's not what I do. That's not what yeah. I Certainly in Lancaster, I don't waste my time doing that. Um, but here I did, and I'm glad I did. You know, I mean, it kind of, yeah, opened up this this topic here, you know, in a very right. like an existential way. So it's it's it is it's fascinating for me to both explore the um, the emotions that go with this, yeah, you know, kind of in, encounter. Um, and again, very grateful for for a pastor without an ego and just you know. That, yeah, but, you know, he, he's been. He talked about the few dark nights of the soul he's been through, and I think I think that pastors that have never been through their dark nights of the soul are the ones that, that have the egos. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know it's it's interesting because a friend of mine who was pastoring a church in Dallas and uh, and he would grasp the stuff we're talking about and be all over it, you know, and mm -hmm. and I was I was stunned. 
I was like, you know, we talked about nationals that he had the American flag pulled out of his, his sanctuary, you know, out, out of the church and refused to even have the sign pastor put on his door, you know, and someone put it back up there and he took it down again. And, uh, and, and so I had this talk with him. I'm like, how is it that you grasp this stuff? I, yeah. I, he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, most people in your position, to be honest, they, they, because of their, their need for their salary, <laughs> they don't get yeah. it. And, and he tried to come up with something. He's like, well, you know, I like to read a lot. I'm like, well, that's good, you know. And then, so he couldn't really answer the question. It was funny because a few yeah. days later, we're in conversation. And he mentions, and then he just happens to talk about his restaurant that went bankrupt and collapsed. Uh, and I go, dude, there it is, man. <laughs> I'm like, there it is. I'm like, you've been through total financial devastation. You've crashed and burned. You've had a dark night of the soul. I go, that's why you get it. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. That the, the junk that comes off of us when we crash and burn or we go through that dark night of the soul, it's it's worth its weight in gold. I mean, it's it it, it produces a lot. Yeah, I'm I'm really. The uh, recent uh, downfall of uh, Mike Bickle. Uh, I've noticed that there are folks online that are, are rather disturbed about this, and they don't even want to mention his name and stuff. But I think back to, to the number of prominent uh, Protestant-type uh, clergy-slash-personality, uh, uh, preacher-types, whatever you want to call them, uh, seem to experience their dark night of the soul during the actual process of ministry. Right, yeah. And then, I, and then I realized, you know, going back in my own life, it was when I was in ministry back in the early 90s that I experienced my dark night of the soul, that crash, I mean, that magnificent crash and burn, the kind of thing that you tell people to buy tickets for and get their rockers <laughs> ready. You know? Right, yeah. I have a tremendous amount of sympathy for someone like Mike Bickle and, and the other guys. And, and I don't think there's that many women that have been crashed and burned, but a lot of the guys have. Um, and it's sad. It's really sad because I, I think the best clergy are those that have crashed and burned. They've been through it. They've come out the other side. They can talk about cross. They can talk about resurrection. And they can right. talk about it realistically. You know, yeah, and um, and uh, it's just sad. It's sad because you know now here he's you know he's potentially going to lose the entire thing rather than you know uh, yeah it's it's just sad. The whole thing's just sad. But the point is is that if you're if you're they ought to they ought to have you go through a somehow work a dark night of the soul into your seminary education process. Yeah. yeah. Go, go through your crash and burn while you're in seminary, you know, go through your initial healing so that when you come out the other side, you're not out there, you know, destroying people's lives. You're out there helping to heal. Them. Right. Yeah. And, if only you could. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know in Catholic, in Catholic spiritual training and in seminary and stuff, they do, they actually, I mean, it's not, not that it's intentional, but you know, depending on which spiritual tradition you're in, but say you're, you're in a tra an educational tradition like the Jesuits where you're, you're doing um, uh, Ignatius uh, of Loyola's exercises. Well, you're, you're going to go through the process of purgation. That's the first stage, purgation, illumination, union, you know. And you're going to go through that process of purgation. Um, but, but I, I mean, the seminary that I went to, North Park in Chicago in the 80s, Lutheran pietist at that time had not yet been uh, poisoned by the evangelical tradition. Um, but, um, so the seminary I was at, they, they had quote, quote, spiritual formation classes. Um, I don't remember anything from, from, from those. They, they just seemed to be rinky dink. Yeah. You know? Um, whereas I think, I think, you know, imagine a Protestant seminary actually doing spiritual formation, not, not religious BS become like us formation, but real authentic spiritual formation like the cat yeah you know uh imagine that and, and so maybe that's what's coming up for protestants maybe we protestants have really got to uh reinvigorate ourselves with the larger catholic tradition and take the stuff that works yeah and bring it into our sphere you know not necessarily all the the nature and grace stuff the catholics can keep that you know those of us that are bartian <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, but I mean, it's like, 
everything will work out. It will all be beautiful. And yeah, I, I, do, I do have hope for the church. I, I truly do. Oh yeah, I, I well, I definitely think uh, the one who's building the church knows what he's doing. So I'm 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 not concerned about it in that in that regard. Um, yeah. I, I, I think sometimes though, it's like uh, chemotherapy, you know, it's like the, the getting the cancer removed can be a very painful and tedious process, you know, cause, yes. cause the master surgeon does it in such a way where he's not going to destroy the patient while trying to destroy the cancer. Right. And that's, and that's the challenge right there. Cause I, you know, my, <laughs> that's where I'm very different from the surgeon is I, you know, I, I want to go on the rampage and go, go get that cancer and I'll take out the guy with me, you know, and that's not right. good at all. That doesn't do anybody no. any good, but, but, you know, it's interesting talking about the dark night of the soul is that I wish people had told me about the dark night of the soul when I was young, because I didn't know about the dark night of the soul until I was in it. And I, and I understand why James writes about, um, you know, encountering a trial, fiery trials as if some strange thing has come upon you. Because I would read that and go, why would people think a strange things come upon them? You're going through a hard time. When I was in that and you look around and you're like the only one who's in the middle of this horrible situation and you're like, what is going on? It does feel like something strange came upon you and oh, and. Yeah. and and I'm sitting there going, am I out there? Am I just totally missing it? Am I, you know, where's God, you know, and all of that. And and it wasn't until, uh, thank God, uh, a teacher, <laughs> Michael, it wasn't, it wasn't you, but it was someone who was doing what you do, came into the congregation and said something very unpopular. And he started teaching on suffering. And he, mm. and he was teaching about, and he started teaching on Joseph and he started talking about being in the pit and how it was the pit that prepared him. And it wasn't the yeah. charismatic go to the, you know, you're going to be wealthy, but it was, it was Joseph knew, had the wisdom to reign because of what he went through in that pit. And it was there. That the, it. It's how he handled it. Right. It was how he yeah, handled it. You can go, everybody goes through all kinds of dark nights of the soul. Yeah, that's they true. Do. But, but, there's a way to handle it that allows you to come through it and be healed. Yeah. That's a very yeah. good point. It's not just, it's not about, Oh, you have to have a dark night of the soul. No, no, no. It's about going through a dark night of the soul. The same way Jesus approached the Via Dolorosa and the cross, the same with complete and absolute trust in the father. Yeah. And letting it all go. I mean, there's wisdom in that little frozen movie in that song. Let it go. Right. I mean, really, yeah. Really, really, and there's more wisdom in that than we realize because we human beings are like Adam. We want to think that to be God consists in the act of grasping, controlling, yeah. manipulating. And we think that's what God does. God controls, God grasps, God manipulates. No. Yeah. No, God is completely free. There's no, <laughs> the, the word control. Uh, I don't think is part of the the father's worldview. Yeah, it's not about control. I agree. Yeah, it's about cohesion and it's about harmony and it's about um, integration. But control? No, God is not like the Wizard of Oz. Exactly. No, that's, that's, I'm really glad you brought that up because two things you said really crucial is, yeah, it is. It's how you go through it that matters because that was the thing when this teacher came, it gave me hope. It made me see, okay, don't, don't throw it in, you know, hang, hang here because this is God's with you, you know? Um, yep. And so, so, so that's crucial because how many people end up on the roadkill of life? Cause they, they hit that dark night. And so I see them all the time. I know you do too, where it's like, they camp there there. That's it. I'm done. I'm out. I'm, you know, whatever D different than saying I'm like a dead man, you know, help me Lord, you know, but, but then there's the thing of, of like you said, God, not being a controller. You're right. That's when we're in any situation like that, uh, or even situations that aren't even major, I, man, I see the control that's in me, you know, mm -hmm. that, that that's the thing. That we, I mean, shoot, in the West, we get messed up just when our schedules get messed up. You know, we lose yeah. control of our day. And, you know, so, yeah. And, and to think of a God, a father who's not controlling, that really is outside of our paradigm. It is. It is because we so need a God concept to be controlling. Very, yeah. very challenging for us human beings to 
recognize that the two greatest, in a sense, the two greatest moments in reality, capital R, are creation and redemption. And in both, both those narratives, God gives up power. He gives up power to the humans in the garden. Here, this garden's yours. You t- I made it. You take care of it. Yeah. There's a power on the cross. I mean, if there's anything about the God of the Bible, it's that the God of the Bible does not wish to be known in terms of power the way we conceive power and authority. Yeah. Yeah. One, one of the things that drives me crazy, and I, I usually keep my mouth shut, but is you'll, you'll hear people talking about someone who passed away or, you know, grieving or something. They'll say, well, God is in control. And that statement just, it, 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 it rubs me the wrong way because it's that whole thing of like, I don't think I don't think the father killed that person. I don't think the father said it's my divine plan that you know he he ends up dead. You know, right? Yeah, it's that it's that sense of fatalism, predestination. Everything happens for a reason. No, there's a lot of stuff happens for no reason at all. There's no good reason. There's no good reason on earth that you can say that there's a lot of stuff that happened. No, 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 no. And that would make God. God, a loving God, complicit in our uh, are hurting each other now. You know? But that's a topic for another day. Exactly. Yeah, that's a whole other. <laughs> wow. Well, well, this has been a really good conversation today. Um, as we're about to wrap up, first, first, let me uh, present because uh, we mentioned David Fredrickson, and he actually has written two books. He wrote one about the the journey that the, uh, they went through when they were leaving the building. It's called "When the Church Leaves the Building." Um, okay. It's by David Fredrickson. I do believe David it's on Fredrickson Amazon. With an e or an O? Ah, with a. Oh, I thought I had his book here. Um, F R E D I. I think it's an O. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure it's an O. Um, right. And then, and then he wrote another one that's also really good. Uh, that's called Christianity in Crisis. Um, mm-hmm. Also, really good book. Um, it draws on just from his his. Years growing up, and uh, he, he has a really interesting childhood. Grew up, his dad was a, a missionary to Mexico. Um, his dad is actually literally his spiritual father, which is talk about pretty wow. awesome. And then so is a um, an older uh, woman who was uh, basically functioning a, 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 in a powerful way during the Jesus People Movement. So he nice. has a very very unique background. Um, cool. but, but he looks at the things, a lot of things we've talked about of just, you know, what, what needs to shift in Christianity to bring us out of the, the crisis that we've touched on in this podcast. So, so yeah, I want to invite people to check those out. So I went to seminary with a guy named David Fredrickson. I'm sure it's not the same David Fredrickson, but it would be cool if it was. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's not because there is another David Fredrickson because I ran across that guy when I was Googling one time for him. I kept getting that other David Fredrickson and he was seminary educated. So I know who you're talking about because I've run across him as well. Um, so yeah, yeah that's, other, that's pretty yeah, interesting. The other David Fredrickson went to Dallas Seminary before he came to North Park to do his one year there before he could become a covenant pastor and he he and i had the most interesting conversations as it because he was you know very conservative fundamentalist you know and at the end of the year our senior year of seminary he said to me michael i I know what your problem is and i said what is it he says you're not conservative and you're not liberal you're orthodox oh that's awesome what a high compliment (laughs) my problem (laughs) wow that's great for all the david fredrickson's out there today Yes, exactly. If your name's David Fredrickson out there, take a bow. <laughs> All right. And Mike Fredrickson here because we could promote his book, but since he's not here, we're not going to say anything about his book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're not going to say anything about his book that you could find on Amazon that's called yeah. Drown, uh, uh, Dying of Thirst on the Bank of the River. That's it. Um, that's which it. That's I know he would have loved this conversation and had a lot to add to it. Actually, he would probably would have had the really good meat to add to it. I, I agree. Like, yeah. There were several times here. I was wishing he was here thinking, ah, oh, Dirk could answer this. He could get this. He's good. You know, but he's, but he alas needed some vacation time, which would be good for his soul. And when he gets back, he's going to have a gas with us again. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Where can people find your stuff, Michael? At my house. <laughs> okay. They'll, they'll come over and get it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll, I'll post them out. You know, wherever, wherever. Wherever the, the lesser things of value are sold. <laughs> all right, everyone. Well, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you all next week. And I believe Jim will be we back. We said next week. 
I did. I said next week, and Jim will be back. <laughs>